Everybody. How we doing? Good? Good. Smile at me so I can see what you is. Get your worship guides out and you can follow along in new version. The worship bulletin's in there for those of you with iPhones, iPads, whatever, God's technology. Um, and your Bibles, and we're going to get right into it. Our theme text for this particular series is taken from John chapter 8. We'll unpack that a little bit today and a little bit each week. This is the beginning of a new series called Break the Chains. How many excited about starting a new series? Yeah? All right, me too. It's a lot of work to get a new series going. It gives me kind of cramps trying to figure out how to... uh, That sounded wrong. Yeah. (laughs) What would be the word? Anyway, rumbles in my tummy. Um, Bed bugs. Okay, whatever. Anyway, feel weird. That's that's just... It's just hard to... It's like, um, I was going to say like giving birth. That's even worse. It goes downhill from there. It's a travail to it. So uh, it takes a while to get it launched. And uh, so I little, I'm a little bit anxious. Work with me, pray with me, pray for me, etc. as we kind of get things going. I, this series in particular is important to me. Uh, I think it has the potential to change people's lives. Um, and I say potential because it, it, re- it requires an expectation. It requires kind of an open heart. Let's pray, matter of fact, as we start. Can you do that with me? God, uh, we need you. Um, help us, Lord Jesus, just, just to become uh, totally aware of our dependence upon you, God. We can do nothing without you. Apart from you, your word says we can do nothing. But yet we try to do a lot of things without you. And so that polarity, that, that distance between those two ideas, would you bring us closer to you, God? Would you make us aware that we need you? In every aspect of our life, God, help us to cling to that which is good and, and, and run and flee from evil. Help us, Lord, to run into your arms when, when worship begins, God, that we just, we, just go to, we just go for it. We go all out. And, and Lord, I pray that we come more in love with you, God. Help us to, you know, learn what we don't know, live what we do know, love the people that we do know and don't know, and in, 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 in just in cooperation with your spirit, your character. Uh, your modeling and example for us, God. Help me in this series, Lord, as we get going. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. <laughs> Turn to your second choice. Say, this is going to be even better. Because you are here and you need it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. All right. Listen, as we get into it, an interesting experiment that you guys have probably heard this before, but it kind of makes the illustration. If you've ever, ever you know, uh, went through this in school or you heard about where you can take grasshoppers and you can put them inside a jar and you can put a lid on top of that jar and those grasshoppers will bang their head on the top of that lid you know, over and over and over again for probably about a couple of days. How many feel like a grasshopper once in a while where you're banging your head against the lid, okay? All right. Well, what happens is after a couple of days, you can take the lid off that jar And those grasshoppers, though they're free to go, do they jump out? They do not jump out. They, they, from that point forward, even though the lid is off, they continue to jump to a certain height, come back down. Actually, they did similar experiments, and, and, and this happens routinely. Maybe you're not aware of that, but with an elephant. You can take a baby elephant. You can chain its ankle. You can put it to a, a big stump when it's a baby, and that stump will hold that baby, so it just continues kind of to walk in circles and stay within certain parameters Are you, so it doesn't hurt anybody. But as that elephant grows and it becomes a massive beast, two and a half ton beast, that same little chain to that little stump, will it keep that elephant in that area? The answer is yes. Is it strong enough to break free? 
Could it break those chains very easily? The answer is yes. So there's things in our life where though we can do it, oftentimes we don't. Though we've actually received the ability, the strength, the the leaping power, the, the physical power, I would say the spiritual power to be free, like the grasshopper, like the elephant, we have been given the ability to, to have the lids off our life, to have the chains off our life, but in many cases we don't. Many cases we don't walk in that freedom. And that's kind of what a discussion or conversation of our series is all about. Why are we not free when freedom has been provided? Because the Bible says whom the sun sets free is free Indeed, kind of a word we don't use very often, but I think this series will be relevant to all of us, and I think we need to find freedom, all of us, in different areas in our life. And if we would look deeper, kind of beneath the surface, uh, that what's, kind of what's going on inside of us, and stop trying to change the outside so much. You know, that's what culture, that's what culture conditions us to do. I need to make changes in this area. I need to make changes in that area. I need to do this, and I need to do that. And it's almost always... An external focus. And, and it's, 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 it's in areas of like diet, and maybe it's in your schedule, you know, maybe it's in your uh, budgets and spending plans, maybe it's in your habits and things like that. We all tend to focus on those things, do we not? All right? And instead, I just wanna, I wanna help us, me included, start to address root issues to the struggles and to the problems that routinely plague us. My father used to call it the pressing problems of the present. That's a pastor, pastor alliteration disease right there. I submit to you that the real change never takes place by changing the external. In fact, if the focus is on changing the external, I, I have experienced, and I think you have too, you almost always, no, you always fail. You always fail. If that's the preoccupation, you'll fail time and time again, and, and instead, it's because the changes are supposed to be from within. And so this, again, is, it's, it's, it's all about getting the restraints, the constraints, the chains that kind of hold us back. Sometimes it's, the Bible talks about this in Hebrews, it's, it's the sin that so easily entangles us, and the Hebrew actually has like a, a picture of a dog nipping at your heels, slowing you down. It could be this little bitty dog, Hebrew, by the way, always has... Uh, uh, certain pictures to describe things uh, and versus just words. And so it's just like a, it's like a dog just nipping at your heels, trying to keep you from, from running. What we need to do is just go, you know what I mean? Get that little chihuahua out of my face, you know? And we don't realize sometimes that we have the ability to do that. And so what's sad is that many of us are sometimes defeated in, in different areas and we don't believe we can be free. Another Another reality is that many believers or Christ followers actually buy into the notion that you can't be in chains, that you can't actually have, that's a big word and we'll unpack it, but bondages in your life, chains in your life. A lot of believers don't believe that's possible. They don't believe that's really a reality. Yet, if we just take a look at our lives, if we did even a simple inventory, uh, we would know that's not the case. In fact, in John chapter 8, I want to I show you something. This is a, um, a, a reference, but John 8, 31 I'm going to back up a little bit, but it says, um, this is kind of our theme text. It says, Jesus, he said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And then it says, and you, everybody say, and you. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Most people, when they quote this very famous scripture, they 
quote it like this. You shall know the truth or you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Anybody heard it like that? Okay, what the scripture says, it says, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You say, why is that important? It's important because the Bible is actually connecting two things. It's saying it's Jesus at that particular time is talking to believers. It's important for you to know that believers who know the truth can be set free. That word know actually in the Greek is the word epinosis. It's, it's, it's a different than head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's like a woman who knows she's pregnant. When my wife was pregnant, we would say we are pregnant. But how many know my wife knew it differently than me? <laughs> right? Are you tracking with me? It's a deeper knowledge. And so the Bible's saying here, and you believers that know the truth like that will be free. Is everybody tracking? Say, that's good preaching, pastor. So Jesus is talking to believers here. And, and, and this is what the believers said. They said, uh-uh, we're Abraham's descendants, okay, Jesus? We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. What? I think Jesus was like, are you stupid? My translation of Jesus, I'm sure he was much nicer about that. Are you slightly challenged? Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But think about it for a second. They go on and they say, how can you say that, that you will make us free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin, everybody say commits sin, is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides there forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free. Okay, so he's talking to believers. He's, so a believer can be in chains. A believer can be in bondage. A believer can need freedom. A believer that knows the truth, knows it, really knows it, can be free. But they say, we're not, we're not, we, we don't need freedom because we've never been in bondage. Oh, really? You mean the ones that have been in slavery multiple times, the one, you know, who distanced themselves from God's more times than we can count? Have you, hello? I mean, I don't want to go into all the examples, but I think Jesus is like, seriously. So believers can have sometimes a, a deception about bondage and about chains, and you have to sometimes take scripture that was applied to that original audience and you got to apply it to yourself. You have to realize that a believer can have bondage. You have to admit that's a reality, acknowledge that's a reality in order to ever be free from it in the first place. You can't embrace truth, know it the way God's talking about it until you recognize you can actually be in bondage. And this word commits, commits is referring to, it's a progressive verb. It means it means not one time. It means there's a continuous, prolonged sin. You keep on doing it over and over again. It's progressive. And so we, like Jews, sometimes have a hard time admitting that we are in bondage and we are in chains. And if we're struggling and if we're sinning in an area progressively, continuously, ongoingly, then I submit to you that I, you, we have a certain amount of certain areas in our life that we are in bondage or we are in chains. And I want to be a good pastor and just say, that's why we need this. This is a pastoral series. This is a series that kind of goes, oh, wow, yeah, this is where the rubber meets the road on my faith because it's just not kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, or, you know, I say a prayer and then tra-la-la, go on with the rest of my day. No, there's some things that God wants to work out in our lives. He's a good parent, and he, he's not interested in our comfort. He's interested in changing us from the inside out, and we have to admit that sometimes, even as believers, that we have bondages in our life. Amen? Uh, 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 
definition for chains is in your notes, something that binds or restrains us, bondage, servitude towards something. I'll explain that more in a little bit. Another definition that I'll unpack later, this is kind of bonus. Um, next week I'll talk about the difference but, between these two words. But any compulsive or impulsive behavior that restricts you from living in and enjoying the freedom that Jesus died to give you. I'm going to deal with next week more the, the impulsive and compulsive behaviors in our life. And so to deal with these types of behaviors, though, backing up, we have to deal with the root. If you, have, if, you can, if you can deal with the root, you can have different fruit. You have to, you have to deal with the root to have different expressions. I'm a tree, okay, in case you weren't tracking with that. Okay? Is that better? All right. So you have to have different, different, to have different fruit, it's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. So we're going to break the chains. And, and we're going to deal with several subjects. Um, some of them I'm not concluded on yet because I'm getting some new heavy revies on a couple different things. But, but we're going to deal with things like insecurity. We're going to deal with, you know, an esteem issues. We're going to deal with uh, depression. Uh, that's a big one in our culture today. People get depressed I'm so excited to talk to you about that particular subject. Uh, um, and uh, we'll deal with maybe anger versus, you know, versus righteous indignation. What's the difference and how do we deal with it? Maybe talk about stress. But each week we'll go deeper. We'll go into kind of the hard issues and bring some, always I'll bring you some essential theology because I think it's important to have a good foundation on certain things and, and, and an inspirational side to it. And then we're going to identify the problem. We're going to help you see, okay, uh, this, what's, what's really going on here? Let's see it how it kind of layers out on each subject so that you can kind of plug in and you can kind of connect with it. And then I'm going to give you some practical solutions that really are spiritual solutions that when you leave here today, you can do something about. One thing that I hate about sometimes Christendom, Christianity, is that we don't get something that we can do with it. We go to conferences and we go to meetings and we get all pumped up and fired up and we're like, yeah, yeah, take the hill. But you don't have any sneakers. You know, you don't, you don't, you're not in shape. You don't know how to get in shape. You don't know how to take the hill. So we're going to learn how to do that. Amen. So I'm, I'm asking you, I'm asking you straight up to join me for the next four weeks because if you, if you, and, and all of us struggle, and I think we'll see that, you, you got to get these things systemically. Okay? These things will build upon each other. That's what the Bible's like. It builds precept upon precept, line upon line. We're supposed to move from glory to glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, glory. <laughs> so today we're going to jump right off the, the, you know, the diving board, right into the pool, and we're going to talk about addiction. Everybody say addiction. Dun, dun, dun. And so I want to show you a great verse from the Apostle Paul who was clearly frustrated. He was a super you know, apostle, he accomplished so much, all his missionary journeys, establishing churches all over the place. He was incredible, but he was, in this particular verse, which we've, we've talked about before, he's incredibly transparent, he's incre incredibly honest. Romans 7 says this, Paul says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Two, like, angel on one shoulder, you know, devil on the other shoulder. Everybody relate now? So when I want to do good, evil's right there, you know? You should do this. No, you shouldn't. That's a bad idea. Okay, so just that's the picture that's going on here. For in my inner being, so where is the war? It's in here. It's not out here. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. He isolates, in other words, where this happens, this, this war that's waging against the law of my mind where there's confusion and all kinds of stuff. And then it says this, powerful word. It says, and making me a what? A prisoner. Everybody say prisoner. Okay, so what I want to do is I want a prison break 
for some of you. Some of you are in prison in certain areas of your life. And this message is for anyone out there who has something they hate about themselves. And I, and I, I got something that I, I, in other words, I got something that I don't want to do and I keep on doing. And every time I try to stop doing it, I do it again. And, and over and over, this thing repeats itself. Anyone in, in a situation where, uh, there's the, that, where that is happening, that cycle and that pattern, I submit to you, is an addict of sorts. So he says, uh, in making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, what a wretched man I am. In other words, I'm I'm an addict. Paul, super apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It says, what a wretched man I am. Wow. Now, how many know someone who in your life is, is is been totally destroyed by an addiction? Raise your hand. Know somebody. All right. How many of you have an addiction? Raise your hand. All right, all the hands go down after that. We're like, no, 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 that's them. It's not me. I'm good with them having an addiction, but it ain't me. You know? you know why? Because the idea of an offense, the idea of an addiction is like an offense to us. The idea that we could have an, an addiction of some sort, it's kind of a strong offensive word. But I, I want to kind of help you re- redefine it a little bit. Because the truth is, we're all addicts in one way or another. And, and, and because this word is so offensive today sometimes we can't embrace it we kind of say that's not for me or a believer can't be like that it's often reserved for certain types of addictions you know a gambling addiction you know or something like that or someone's involved in illicit sex or alcoholism or drugs or something like that but I would submit to you that an addiction is any thing that we are doing that we don't want to do that we can't stop doing that's an addiction listen if you keep repeating the same resolutions every year and nothing changes, that's telling you something. I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. I'm going to get over this. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. And if it happens every single year, that is saying there are chains in your life that need to be broken. And if you, it, it's funny how we keep, we can be sometimes real arrogant about someone else's addiction, you know, like, dude, you got problems. We either think it, we say it, we spray it. You know, we're like, I mean, you may, you may think, well, I'm not on crack, but like you're on Facebook 10 hours a day. <laughs> but I'm not on crack. You know what I mean? What, hello? What's the difference? I think we all have something. I think I, think I have some things. I, I, I think, you, you know, that may not be very comforting to you to know your pastor is an addict in some areas. Hi, my name is Derek Fry and I'm an addict. You know, but... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There's some well-versed, well-versed. But, but there are some things that I do that I don't want to keep doing. You're like, like what? No, I'm not telling you. <laughs> tell somebody. I'm not going to tell all y'all, my wife would say. When, I mean, when I was in church, you know, there, there was this, this arrogance and this, like, categorical view of these kind of things. And church leaders get up and meet my friend's face, you know, and be like, you know, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing this. You need, you need to stop smoking them cigarettes, you know. You smell like a chimney. You're going to hell in the process. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? You smell like hell, you know? And it's me, meantime, they're like 450 pounds, you know, walking around like this, you know, just got off of the big breakfast bar. And I'm like, dude, you got problems too. Man, you got issues. But that's, that's what happens is we separate ourselves with all our arrogance and all our pride and, and all our redefinition of what an addict is or what an addict isn't. And so we sometimes miss the freedom that God has for us because of these different things. And so I'm not going to come to you or in front of you and pretend that this doesn't apply to me. It does. We all have issues. 
If you don't think you have issues, that's your issue, right? So I always say, I always say that this, these kind of things because uh, there's a tendency to say this doesn't apply to me and then people just kind of check out on these different things. So an addiction can be, can be food, you know, if you pick up a bag of potato chips and you finish it <laughs> routinely, if you pick up, you know, Fig Newtons and you eat them by the sleeve, if you look at an Entenmann's Danish like you do a, a beautiful woman, you got problems. You're an addict. You know, don't give me any more Entenmann Danish, by the way. I don't want it anymore. <sighs> Praise God. All right, but you can be food, it can be sugar, caffeine, things like that, drugs, it can be TV, it can be hunting, sports, the internet, gambling, media, social media. Oh, he didn't go there. Yes, I did. Some of you on Twitter right now, that's good. Oh, yeah. Woo. Tweet that. Tweet that. You know what I mean? Twitter litter. It's what it is. It's Twitter litter. Tweet that. Just tons of Twitter litter going on all the time. People out of control, you know, addicted to sports. You know, if you're so into football, God, God's okay with that. There's nothing but wrong with leather going back and forth down the field. I think God created competition. I think he's for it, whatever. But if three days after the game, you're like, my team lost, you know what I mean? I'm so, ah. I mean, just seriously, there's a problem. There's a problem. Here's the point, all right? We're all addicts. Say, I'm an addict. I don't want to confess that, but the point is you have to acknowledge something, you know? We are, we are overcomers through Christ who gives us strength, and so we can't, we can't ignore the feelings or the facts. We got to exalt faith, what God says about us, but we, try to, we got to try to expose some things in order to fix things. We have to identify with it in order to be able to personalize it and apply it to our life, and in order to check into this message, I want to expose kind of the cycle of this addiction. So write these, here's kind of the cycle of addiction, okay? Here's the first thing. It becomes a part of my identity. Everybody say identity. We, we, in other words, it's just, this is just who I am. It's just who I am. You know what I mean? That's just the way I am, you know? And, and we have now, we have now, what happens is in this cycle of sin, the cycle of an addict, we have become it. We become it. We are it. You know, I, I, I uh, honor and appreciate different program, 12-step programs, different things that are out there. I think they have value. I believe it. I believe they're beneficial. I, I, I think they're good. I'm a fan of those. Uh, they have some success. But the one thing that I would like to change is that no matter how much success uh, you may have, they make you, you, they make you believe that you are that thing. In other words, hi, my name is Derek Fry, 25 years sober. I'm an alcoholic. I, I just want you to know as your pastor, I fundamentally disagree with that. 25 years sober, I'm an alcoholic. I get why they do that. I understand what they're trying to say, help you kind of cope with things, acknowledge things, not be in denial on certain things. I understand all that kind of stuff. But, you know, people say anything. Well, my, it's, it's the same thing people do in other areas. My daddy was big. My mama was big. My grandfather was big. So I guess I'm just going to be big. I'm big. No, that's right. No, that. Those things do not define you. Those things are, identity is some of the problem, the root issues with our behaviors. First, you have to change who you are to change what you do. It's what you do is not who you are. What, who you are is who you know. That is tweetable. All right. Anyway, people say stuff like, my daddy was angry. My grandfather was angry. My great-grandfather was a Scottish man with crazy temper. You know what I mean? So, so I'm just kind of a pistol. Deal with it. Yeah. 
No, it's not okay, all right? At some point, you have to reject this as our identity and be free in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You believe that? All right, number two. When I try to quit, but I fail, I feel increasingly hopeless. I feel hopeless. You know what? It's just who I am. It's just who I am. I just love the ladies. It's just who I am. I just love the ladies. No, no, that's not okay either. This, this is a lie. If you, if you say inside or outside, this is never going to change, uh, then I, I want to confront that, formally confront that. You can change. It's not hopeless. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It keeps on fueling you and feeding you, nourishing you. And so I just want to say to you, sir, ma'am, give me four weeks to help you with this, okay? This is group therapy, okay? Group therapy. I don't go, I don't, I'm not going to counseling. You're in it right now. All right, number three, any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. Here's the cycle. Here's the pattern, okay? Identity, hopeless, it's a threat to me. In other words, if anyone tries to put their finger, touch this thing, kazowie, people just kind of bow up about that. They get hostile. They, they get fired up about that kind of stuff. They get, they get mad. They get protective. They get defensive, and I submit to you, this is kind of another progression I can't preach on now. They get mad, they get protective, they get defensive, then they get in deception. They get into deception. They don't even recognize reality anymore or truth anymore. And so I, I don't got a problem. You got a problem. I don't have a problem. You got a problem. Look at your neighbor. Just give him a little, little two. Just give him a little two, you know? You, you know how this manifests? I'm going to do group therapy. You know how this manifests? Look at me, look at me. This is how the man. This is why some people... Uh, even though they know it would be beneficial, even, they know, even though they know in their head it can be transformational, this is why people won't go into small groups. Because it's easier to listen to me, take a few notes, mm, that's good, that's a pretty good point, all right, tweet it, you know, things like that, but go away unchanged. Because we can't really work it out all right here. It's got to be worked out somewhere else in a laboratory of life with other people where somebody can say, dude, dude. That's too many Fig Newtons, okay? Dude, you can't talk to your wife that way, all right? You can't point when you're, you're trying to tell somebody something, you know, from the King James. Like, this is where that, the rubber meets the road is in those kind of relationships. Are you tracking with me? And so it's just kind of easy to remove ourselves and just kind of in the safety of a big room, kind of, you know, listen and hear God's word, and, 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 but we don't do anything about it. And, and, and we make mistakes, and we come to church and say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned, you know? And, 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 and 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I believe that, and that's totally true. God forgives. But if, if you, if you want to stay the same, just tell God. But if you want to change, you have to tell someone else. James 5 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Where would you do that? Here? No, silly rabbit. You'd do that someplace else. You do that in the context and the safety of something small. You do that in a small group. Everybody say small group. Because the principle is vulnerability. Like here's who I am. This is really what I'm wrestling with. I finally feel capable. It doesn't happen right away. It's not going to happen overnight. You might have to go two semesters, two years. I don't. It's a principle. You get to a certain place where you can open up who you are. Vulnerability, listen, leads to stability. It's counterintuitive. But because you got hurt a couple times, you're like, no, thanks, that's not going to work for me. Or because you think you're the only one with problems, no, you're not. 
We're all struggling. We all have issues. All right? The, the, another one in the cycle is I begin to lose my life. I begin to lose my life. And, and I dedicate this message to those who know that this cannot be what God intended for my life. The bondage and the chains that you're struggling with, you know in your heart of hearts, this is not what God intended for me. And you're struggling with that. And I just want to say, hang on. Hang on. Okay? Because you know that you can't reach your potential with these chains on. You know you can't run with that dog nipping at your heel. You know that the sin that so easily entangles you and slowing you down will keep you from the fulfillment of your purpose. And it has, but it doesn't have to continue. That's one of the enemy's biggest ploys or plots is to keep you so distracted and so diverted by your problems that he can't introduce you to a bigger problem that actually could blow your mind, set you free, and change a lot of other people's lives. So here's the next, here's the next part of the cycle. This is what happens in this, this cycle of sin. I ease the pain by getting my next fix. Next fix. It's funny, when I write this in my notes, I wrote Netflix. <laughs> Just a little sidebar there. But anyway... Um, that's how we deal with it. Because I, 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 because I never dealt with it correctly, I click it again. I spend again. I eat again. I drift again. I lose it again. And I repeat the cycle over and over and over again for the temporary relief it gets me. But yet, at the same time, when that is happening, it gives me a temporary relief. But like the Bible talks about, the cords of sin continue to wrap around, in essence, my throat and slowly begin to suffocate the life of, in God that I have. So here's the question of the day. How do we break the chains? How do we break the cycle of sin? We have to change again the inside, the heart. The right behavior falls right standing and right relationship. And here's a quote that I want you guys to remember. Most of us, though, this is why it doesn't happen fundamentally. Most of us want to change our circumstances in our situation, but we don't want to change our life. I want to be skinny, but don't tell me I can't eat that. I want to get along, but don't tell me I can't just be the person I am and have a little salsa in my words, a little spice, and a little temper, and a little, you know. So we, we don't, we just want our situation to change, our circumstances to change. We don't really want to change our life. That is a will issue. That is a lordship issue. I worship God. Here's one of my core values. This is, I don't know why I'm going to this. I love God. My next core value is lordship. I follow God. I surrender to God. My next core value is relationships. I love people. My next core value is leadership. I develop followers. But lordship is where it comes down to. Are you willing, really willing to surrender your life, turn over the wheel of your life, the order of your life, the priorities of your life to God? Do you really want to change your life or do you just want to change your situation? Until you answer that question, you can't be free. Chains can't come off. We got to deal with the why before we deal with it. The addiction actually isn't the real problem. It's a symptom of the problem. The real problem, here's kind of a drum roll. Here's the big, big reveal coming up. The real problem is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's a big word. Don't get scared of it. I don't have any idols in my house. I'm not going to pull a Buddha out on the table or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But idolatry, what does that mean? It's, it's anything that's on the, on the throne of your life that you worship above God. Idolatry is that. It's, it's whatever is on the throne you worship, and whatever you worship, you serve. And whatever you serve, you're a slave to. You follow. Whatever you worship, all right, you become a, you become, you become a servant to. Whatever you serve, you become a slave to. You're surrendered to. You're under that. And there's only one worthy of all of those, and that's God. 
He's the only one. And so we got to get rid of some of these things. Here's an Old Testament story. I got to move quickly. Isaiah 44. This is what it says. Really cool story. I'm going to, I'm pulling a couple verses out and going to paraphrase those, but it says this, how foolish are those who manufacture idols? Yeah, that seems kind of dumb. People who manufacture, I'm going to worship this, but I made it. That's dumb, okay? We, we, we don't identify with this story, but we do it, okay? These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they're all put to shame. In other words, it kind of makes us an addict. That's what addicts feel like. They feel shamed. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? And then he goes on, and the story tells about he planted some trees, okay? And, and then he cut the trees down, and he used part, he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. In other words, this is good, okay? This is what you should do. Then, then, everybody say then. Yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. So he uses some of the wood for a good purpose. God created certain things in this world for a good purpose, and it, and it produced good things. Th then he takes the rest, the leftover, and he makes a god out of it. All right, everybody tracking? He makes an idol, and then he bows down in front of it. In other words, God gives us things that if we use them for what they are intended, they're, they're actually really good, like food, for example, like money, for what they're really intended, they're good, okay? Money's not evil. The, the love of money is the root of all evil. Food's not bad, but being addicted or consumed or mastered by it is bad. And so it's healthy when you do it for those things. But anything in our lives, listen, anything in our lives can cross a line if we go too far with it. Anything in our lives that we, we don't use it for what it's intended, there's some kind of a line that we cross where it becomes worship, where it becomes idolatry, idolatry, all right? Food, again, is good. Sports are good. But these things can cross the line. It becomes a God. And this guy in this story, he didn't see it. And I submit to you many times, we don't see it. And he burns part of the tree to roast his meat. And he, and he keeps to himself. It keeps him warm. And he says, ah, the fire feels good. In other words, if it's done right, it, it works. Then he takes what's left and makes his God, a carved idol. Now, he crosses a line here. He falls down in front of it, worshiping, which is key, and praying to it. He prays to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. The, the, the thing God intended for good, he made his God. And he crosses this line, and it becomes an improper relationship. Are you guys following me so far out there? And I think this is the essence of most addictions. It's something along the line, most addictions, not just the classic ones, which are more obvious, but somewhere along the line, the thing that was okay, the thing that was good as God intended it, it, it goes too far. It becomes too excessive. It becomes improper. And we begin to, the created is not serving the creator. We're serving, we're serving and worshiping and following the created. And I think things like, again, social media, you know, and, and, and food, and it could be all sports, all kinds, shopping. I'm going to hit something for somebody. Somebody's going to get a nerve. But it, the scripture says, such stupidity and ignorance, their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The, it, it, it affects, distorts reality. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why? Uh, it's, it's just a block of wood. It's, in other words, you could say today, it's just a piece of letter, leather. Excuse me. It's just, it's just Facebook. It's, it's just Entenmann's Danish. That's what he's saying. It's just a piece of wood. And I, I, I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? 
The poor, deluded fool uh, feeds on ashes, and he trusts something that cannot help him at all. And any God but the one and only God can help you, guys. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask. He cannot bring himself to ask, is this an idol that I'm holding in my hand? A lie. And that's what I'm asking you to ask yourself as we go forward. I'm asking you to ask yourself, are there any idols in my life? See, I'm really not the one to tell you that's an idol, that's an idol, that's an idol. I don't think that's the responsibility of the church or the church leaders. Maybe when there's a lot of equity and relationship, you know, we can, in a small group context, something like that. That's not my job here, though. But I tell you what, if you let the Holy Spirit do his job, he will. And if you'll ask him, is there anything in my life that's an idol? I promise you, he'll tell you. That's one of his job descriptions. You got to ask him. Is it my hobbies? Is it my hobbies? What, what, what hang-ups are there in my life? What are those things that are keeping me and causing me to do certain behaviors, aberrant behaviors, egregious behaviors, negative behaviors? And I hope that you've, you feel helped identifying and recognizing what these addictions are and the cycle of them. And I hope that you will agree to be free and that you'll surrender your will to these things. And I hope that you can see that this is an inside thing, not an outside thing, but, but I want to give you now kind of some practical. How do we actually break the change? And this is actually the easiest part, okay? A lot of us haven't had much success. We've gone to church, and we prayed the prayer, and we've said this, and we've said that, and we've walked out unchanged. And you know why? Look at me. It's because you've attacked the problem too lightly. You've taken it. You haven't taken your enemy too seriously, Whatever continuously happens, whatever sins you commit progressively, uh, ongoingly, consistently, and you just, why do I keep doing that? You go through that cycle, you, you, you respond like the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 7, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I keep on doing them, and I don't want to do them, and I keep on doing them, and so on. Why do I do that? It, a lot of times you don't get free because you take it on too lightly. You don't take it serious enough. You just want it to be, poof, wave a wand, spin the cauldron a little bit, and then see it all go away. It's not always like that. In fact, the disciples experienced this. They were having success praying for people, all kinds of miracles in the name of Jesus, and they came upon this one demon-possessed boy, and it didn't work. And they were shock and awe. And so here's what happened. In Matthew chapter 17, uh, they, uh, the story picks up. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Then Jesus gives us the secret. Here's why it's not working. <clears throat> oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Underline those or circle those two words. Unbelieving and perverse Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Everybody say amen. amen. What can we learn from these two words that I just highlighted, okay? Unbelieving, perverse. This is so important. This is the start of the series. It's going to help you as we go forward. I submit to you that if we really want to overcome an idolatry, specifically an addiction in our life, then we have to embrace these two words. Let's define them. Unbelieving, this is what unbelieving means. Unbelieving means not connected to God or not connected enough to God. You're either a belie- an unbeliever, a pre-believer, and you just haven't connected to God in the first place in relationship with him, surrendered your life to him, given him the wheel of your life. He's still in the back seat. You're thinking about it, talking it over. We'll get to it later. I've got to clean up a few things before I do that, all that. Or you're a believer and you're not connected enough to him. Okay, an unbeliever is, is someone who attempts to do things on his or her own. A believer can do that too, though. 
A believer can attempt to do a lot of things on their own. And you're, you're, um, you're unplugged or you're running on battery power. A lot of believers are running on battery packs. That's kind of the, the picture that God gave me, you know. We're just unplugged. You're going to run out. You are not the Duracell battery. You're not the Energizer bunny, okay. All right. You need to be plugged in. It's not good. Uh, perverse means this. It means too connected to the world. So not connected enough to God, and perverse means too connected to the world. So you are not connected to God, and you are too connected to the world for freedom to come and change to be broken in any relationship. It takes both of these things, hand and glove, to be working in your life. And that's why I say to you, many people want their situation changed, their circumstances changed, but they really don't want to change their life. And it usually comes down to one of these two things. And I, and I, I wish it wasn't like that, but it is. To go forward in any relationship, you definitely have to disconnect from other relationships. When I, well, I'll just give you a hypothetical. This is a hypothetical. My wife and I, before we got married, all right, I wanted to marry her. I proposed to her. We're going to get married. Say it's four or five months down the road. I've had a lot of girlfriends in my past. Like I said, this is a hypothetical. <laughs> well, I don't understand the laughter. And so let's just say, and I've got all these relationships, and all these girls write me notes and give me, give me stuffed animals, and, and I've got a shrine in my house of all, this, all these notes and pictures and us together. And stuff. But I'm going to marry, I'm going to marry Stacy. In order for that relationship to be successful, to go forward, I've got to formally disconnect from all these other relationships. Are you tracking with me? So some of the problem is you can't just connect to Stacy and have that relationship successful. I have to disconnect from all those wonderful girls who thought I was so great. I have to formally disconnect from that. I've got to take all those notes and, and all those gifts and all those little memories and whatever, and I've got to put them in a trash can, and I've got to burn them up. I've got to let them go. I've got to cut myself off from those things. Are you tracking? It's the same way when you're dealing with chains in your life, bondages in your life. You want it to go away? You, yes, you have to go to God, more to God. But you have to get away and totally disconnect from the, the world and from the worldly things, the perversity of our lives. Are you tracking? And so in short, Jesus is saying, the, the, these guys, the reason you couldn't do it is because you're not connected enough to me and you're not, you're not disconnected enough from the world. That's why it didn't work. So Jesus gives us these instructions in the same story, Matthew 17. Then the disciples, follow me, come on, track with me. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, Matthew 17, 19. They came to him in private because they were embarrassed. It made him look bad. Why couldn't we drive this, this, this thing out? He, re he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. Nothing, everybody say, nothing will be impossible. That's either true or it's a total lie. I think if he stopped there, these guys would have been frustrated, though. If he just, if he just stopped at that point, he would have been frustrated. Because they would have been like, I know that, but how do you do it, Jesus? So this is what he says. He says in verse 21, but this kind does not go out except by what? Prayer and fasting. All that to say, and I want to lead you to some real freedom and breaking of bondages, but it requires you to become more believing, less perverse. You do it by employing the solution that Jesus gave. Two words here. Number one, prayer. Prayer. I don't want to minimize prayer. I have a tendency to minimize prayer sometimes in my own personal life. Prayer is effective. It, it, it availeth much. It's where much is accomplished. It's where we typically, the fact that we don't go there is a sign that we are too connected to the world. 
I just got around a, a mighty prayer warrior, mighty man of God just recently from Uganda, just listening to him, just hearing how much he prays. You know why they pray so much? Because he's aware that they cannot do it without God. And America is so self-sufficient, so self-absorbed, but sometimes we don't realize it until we heard enough we have to change. But prayer connects us to God. And, and, and let me make sure I define this. This is not some, some morning time, night time, uh, you know, before I... You know, say, say, you know, before my meal, I say grace and repeat the same prayer over and over again. I'm sure God loves that. Now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. I'm in trouble, God. 911, save me prayers. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intimate prayer with God, pursuit of God. Prayer has to be close. Where intimacy lives, sin dies. Where sin lives, intimacy dies. It's about being intimate with God and pursuing him. And, and, you ha- and how do you do that? You have to have seasons of intensive prayer. And I submit to you, if you're not free, you probably haven't had a season of intense prayer. We dedicate this, this, the, the times in our church to corporate prayer. But there needs to be a time where you dedicate your life to seasons of intense prayer. Fasting. That's the next one. Fasting helps us disconnect from the world. How do we get the perversity out of our life? The, the preoccupation, Look, you can have other loves. I've said that many times. God's okay with you loving sports and food and all kinds of things. But sometimes you have to disconnect from that. Most have never done this. Most Christians have never done this, yet they wonder why the chains remain. We misunderstand what it's all about. Fasting is not penitence, suffering for God just to prove to him you love him. That's not what it's about. God doesn't want you to suffer that way. Fasting is an intentional disconnect that has become an idol, and, and, it, and it's fueling uh, the, the, the appetites of the flesh, and it's taken the place of God. And this means that, you know, sometimes we have to take a break from certain things and, and, and t- in order to overcome them, the lust of the eye, the flesh, the pride of life, all that kind of stuff. I know it's too much to talk about in one day, but sometimes you need, you need to fast from something, not just food. It might be media. Some of you's next post needs to be, I'll see you in seven days. You know, I'm I'm out. I'm out of the matrix, all right? And I promise you, if you, all want, if you want to overcome the thing that you do and don't want to do and dethrone it and become more believing and less perverse, it's by prayer and it's by fasting. We have little fasting books if you want information about that. We give them away, these awesome little books from the late and great Bill Bright. He's amazing. But you have to see that you have to unplug. Do you believe that, everybody? All right? You have to unplug and you have to connect and plug in more to God. And again, this is a four-week journey. Let me close with a story, all right? Stand on your feet and you can... Put your worship guides away for a second. I want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. You getting something out of this? Let's, let's pretend that this is kind of an, an old preacher story. Let's pretend that you've got an apartment, all right? And uh, it is decrepit. <laughs> it's falling apart. W- window treatment's a mess. Can we just be still and not move around a lot? It'd be great, okay? This is the most important part of the service and everybody's moving. I don't like that. Thank you. Um, an apartment, you know, an apartment's totally run down. It's totally a mess. Nothing works. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a dive. And, and your landlord shows up at your house. He's mean as a snake. He's not interested in fixing anything. He's coming for money. He's knocking on the door. You open up the door. You see this guy there. He's just, he's just this just old, angry man. And he's like, I tell you what, you get that rent to me by the end of the day or you're out of here. Slams the door on <laughs> on this kid's face. It's his house. He's still inside. That was weird. He slammed the door in my face. And then he, he, he goes away. Guy's 
thinking in his house, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get over this. And he's freaking out. He's like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get the money. This place is a mess. It's a sty. Just when that happens, another knock at the door. Opens the door. Well-dressed man, nice suit, smile on his face. Sticks his hand out and says, how you doing, sir? Uh, my name's so-and-so. I'm actually your new landlord. I actually just bought this entire building, several buildings down the street, and uh, I'm visiting some of the apartments because I want to kind of see what's really going on because I want to be a good servant to you and help you through certain situations. Would it be okay if I come in? He comes in, he looks around, he sees the floor's a mess, grass is coming up through the backyard, through the carpet. I mean, the, you know, the toilet's a mess, the kitchen's disgusting. He's like, I am so sorry. This place is rancid. This place is disgusting. Uh, I, nobody should be living in circumstances like this. I apologize. This is horrible. And, 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 and I tell you what, I'm going to make all the repairs. I'm going to take care of this. Just give me some time. I'll get this all squared away. In fact, I, I don't mean to be, you know, insensitive, but I, but I heard you're struggling a little bit with your rent. And because of these circumstances and nobody should live like this, I want you to know I paid all that back owed rent. It's all paid. Every debt's canceled. And I'm going to take care of all of this. And, 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 he, and, he, and he walks off and he goes to another apartment. And, and then moments later, opens the door. Look who's back. It's the old landlord. The old landlord says, hey, buddy, tell you what. Give me the money or you're out today. The guy closes the door on his face. Thinks for a second. This is the point where you and I have to make a decision. What would we do in that situation? What would you do in a situation like that? This is what you need to say. You need to look at your landlord, this old landlord, this guy who says you owe him everything. You need to say, listen up, buddy. I'm under new management. There's a new landlord who's come in, and he's taken over this whole situation. He's paid my past debt. He's canceled it completely. It's not all fixed yet, but he's making repairs in my situation. He's making repairs in my apartment. He's guaranteed that he can fix everything. If I just stay close to him and keep walking and talking with him, it's all going to be fixed. So you, buddy, need to take your angry little spirit and get out of here and slam the door on his face. You need to decide which landlord... You're going to be under. If you're going to be under the management of God, are you going to be under the management of the enemy? Now, would you bow your heads and let me pray for you? If you're ready to come under the management of God, new management, maybe you've never done that before and you want to do that, would you just boldly raise your hand and say, I'm going to come under new management. That's it. I want to surrender my life to God today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I want to surrender my life today. I've never done that before, and I want to surrender my life to God today. God bless you right here. Thank you. Good and high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I see your hands, guys. Now you're here today, and you have surrendered your life to God before, categorically, but you recognize as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you need freedom in your life. You need chains broken. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. Good and high. I want you, I want you, I want you to follow this journey. This is a four-week journey. Don't get discouraged. The enemy will come at you right when you walk out. You can put your hand down. Right when you walk out this door. This is a journey. This is a process we're on. You are being sanctified. You are being made whole. Come under new management. He'll repair all that stuff. He'll fix those things. Give it, give it some time. Give it some time. Now, for those of you in that first group, I want you to say this with me. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I surrender my life completely to you. I trust you. Make me a new creation in accordance with your word. Save me in Jesus' name.
If you said that prayer, it's important that you tell somebody, you put it on a connection card before you leave today so we can help you on your journey. We've got some resources we want to send you and give you. We promise to take really, really good care of you. That's the most important decision you made in your life. I promise you, as a Christian, for 30-something years, it's the best decision I ever made. Can we just rejoice in what God is doing and done today? Amen? Can we do that? Come on, guys. Give me your...